You're listening to The Authenticity Show, where you get to eavesdrop on great conversations about health, creativity, and the quest for excellence. Your hosts are Carlos Casados and Satch Purcell. This episode is about pain. Different types of pain, different perspectives on pain, and different ways of dealing with and alleviating pain. Satch, good evening. Good evening, Carlos. So uh, I think we have a pretty neat topic tonight. Yeah, that's one word for it. Yeah. Neat. It's also a topic, I think, that um, applies to absolutely everybody, frequently throughout a lot of people's lives. It's universal. Everybody will have it. If you're born, you're going to experience it. Absolutely. It's a condition of being alive. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, If you have a body, you're going to experience it. If you have a mind, you're going to experience it. And if you have emotions, you're going to experience it. Many people will be seeking ways to avoid it for their entire life. So what is it? Riddle me this, Batman. (laughs) Yes, we're talking about pain, of course. Pain. Pain. It's the other half of the coin. It's the flip side of pleasure. Yeah, it is. It is. Um, And, you know, theoretically and philosophically and poetically, that's how, you know, a lot of people have looked at it over the centuries is, is you're going to have pleasure. You got to have pain. It's the only way you know about pleasure. And the only way you understand pleasure is about pain and all that. Um, But the realities of pain are that it can really ruin people's lives. It's really, really challenging. And I think it can also inspire and create amazing things. That's true. And I think that that you and I talking about it on different levels is helpful because there is a philosophical aspect to all of this, but bottom line, when people are hurting, they're concerning themselves mostly with the source of their pain and the problem that, that, that whatever's going on in their body uh, or their mind or their life is the issue. And they're not too concerned with philosophy at that point. Yeah. They're exactly. looking for relief and understanding it on those different levels can be helpful because at some point, when you do resolve the pain on a physical level, um, many times it's accompanied by a realization that the pain is also happening on another level, maybe a philosophical or spiritual or emotional, mental level too. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it's, it's interesting, um, as an acupuncturist, that's pretty much what I do. I treat pain. You know, as an occupational therapist, I treat pain, you know. Um, as an occupational therapist, it may or may not be physical pain. It may also be the pain associated with not being able to do what you want to do. The pain of not being able to do the things that fulfill your roles in life. You know, it's painful to be a mother and be disabled and not be able to do the things that a mother's supposed to do and so on and so forth. Right. You know? Um, You've so, helped me, by the way, with a lot of pain in my life. Oh, I've helped you with pain? Absolutely. For years oh, and yeah. years. Uh, I can't tell you how many times uh, I have come to you with uh, a sore back or an injured knee or a pain in the neck, uh, literally. Yeah. And um, figuratively. And figuratively. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so I appreciate that because you've, you've done a lot of uh, great work with me and helped me resolve uh, a lot of physical uh, you know pain in my life sure well, the, herbs the, and acupuncture and massage and yeah and all sorts of great advice yeah the, the feeling's mutual you know you've you've helped my physical pain um uh, you've helped some of my physical pain and you've helped a lot of my 
uh, emotional pain by helping me cope with things, by giving me strategies that um, uh, created more comfort. And that's the other thing. I think um, there's pain and there's also varying levels of pain like discomfort, you know, agitation, anger can be pain. Fear can be pain in a way. Fear can be painful, you know? It's true. Um, and it, this reminds me of when I was um, in graduate school, uh, I took a course on religion. It was a religion course. It was a requirement. And to be perfectly honest, I wasn't all that excited about this course. It was from the faculty of religion at Loma Linda University. And uh, I kind of had my preconceived ideas about what the class was going to be. And we had to read a book um, called Where is God When It Hurts by Philip Yancey. And it's a beautiful book. And I, I highly, highely recommend anybody uh, out there. It's a great uh, title. Yeah, it really is. You know, um, I, I highly recommend the book. Um, it's all about pain and uh, dealing with pain. And it, it was a wonderful exploration of the topic. And the author, Philip Yancey, begins uh, early on in the story by sort of reframing, to use one of your terms, Carlos, you know, to, he sort of reframed pain for its positive qualities. And the way he did that was he talked about um, his time working with lepers. People with leprosy um, end up losing the sensation of pain. And it is that loss of sensation of pain that ends up leading to many of the problems that they have. So it used to be thought that lepers just, you know, their fingers fell off and their toes disappeared and they lost an arm, right? Well, the reason those things were happening, it turns out, is that they were losing the ability for their brain to interpret noxious stimulus, right? Which is pain. That's what, that's what the right. definition of pain is in a medical sense, right? Is, mm. you know, a, a response to noxious stimuli. And because they can't feel pain, they would end up using too much of their strength. And he tells a, a particular story that I recall from, from the book um, where he was trying to turn a rusted key in a lock and he couldn't turn it. And this little boy, this young kid said, oh, I can do it. And he grabs the key and the kid turns, turns it really hard and he snap and he, he unlocks it. And Philip Yancey's like, well, how could this little kid be so strong to do that? I couldn't even do that. Then he looks and he realizes the kid's finger is bleeding. Uh, and, and so little by little, um, you know, they get cuts and they get infections and sores. And there, there were always stories about the lepers waking up and their finger would be gone. Well, it turns out the rats would nibble their fingers while they're asleep and they can't feel it. Wow. So what an image. Yeah. So the pain, um, was sort of being interpreted as hold on now. We kind of need it. Don't we? Why, Satch, are you suggesting that there might be a silver lining to pain? Yeah, I think I am. And, and, and I'm, I'm so concerned about doing it in the cheesy way. You know what I mean? I don't want, I don't, this is an authentic show with authentic conversations. And this is a, an idea that I think a lot of us have kicked around this idea that pain can be good, but I, I want us to look at that differently, you know? Yeah, I think when someone's in a lot of pain, it's um, sometimes hard for a person to hear that. Because they're not ready to yeah. hear that, that there might be something good about it. And um, it's like we've talked about compassion before solutions, you know? Yeah. Uh, sometimes people really just need to, to be able to feel like safe to, safe to tell you how they feel and what's going on and to be able to complain to somebody because maybe yeah. they're not getting a chance. And sure, complaining means you're living in the problem and all that good stuff. But um, sometimes it's important to be able to get it out. 
to know what the, to be able to define the problem and to to be able to describe what's going on. And so um, I think, as you said, um, there, there is a silver lining in there uh, and it is important. But at the same time, it's got to be real. Whenever we speak to somebody, you got to be speaking at their level. Otherwise, they don't connect with it. They don't resonate with the truth of it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And you know, there's there's a big difference too between acute pain and chronic pain, you know, and, and which acute, is not very acute, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So acute pain, you know, being of of shorter duration, maybe you sprain your ankle, you tweak your back, you know, and it's self-limiting, it goes away. And then there's chronic pain. And you know the old uh the old saying, it only it only hurts when I laugh. Um, that's true for acute pain. But that's not true for chronic pain. In fact, there's research on chronic pain. Um, by, by the way, I, I had to pause yeah. you for a second because I, I don't think I ever really understood that as a kid. I thought it was such a strange statement. How, how can it hurt when you laugh? Yeah, it, don't, it only hurts when I laugh. Yeah, yeah. you know, like, I, like, like, like I remember like I, I, tw- I, I hurt my ribs several months ago and that did hurt when I laughed. Right, well, you know? <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, In that case, I, mean? I, can, yeah. I can see. Yeah, right, right. Um, research on chronic pain shows that we're not usually experiencing pain when we're laughing. Uh, at the university that I studied at, Loma Linda, um, there was um, a researcher there, and I, I don't recall his name, unfortunately. Um, he had a whole room full of people with chronic pain, and he showed them a comedy clip of, of, of a stand-up comedian. And then everybody was laughing, and then pretty much he you know, did various surveys and things. That was my understanding of his research. And pretty much found that people couldn't remember that they were in pain while they were laughing. Hmm. I'm sure they didn't want anybody to remind them at that point. That's right. That's right. And I think the survey did remind them, but there's something to that, you know, and I think our state of mind um, definitely shows that we can amplify our pain and we can de-amplify our pain. I think that's where you come in, you know, with, with NLP hypnosis, the idea of, of dealing with the mind and how the mind interprets pain and amplifies it or, you know, shrinks it down, you know? Absolutely. Uh, your, your mind modifies the experience so much. Um, you know, first of all, just recognizing the difference between pain and suffering, Mm, you know, the, the emotional drama we have around what took place. Uh, well, let me just give an example. Uh, I think I might have been eight years old, and I was in a um, in a park in Costa Mesa. I think it was Lions Park, to be specific. And I was in an after school program, wonderful program. I was involved in as a kid. It was called uh, it was called Child's Pace, and uh, it was a wonderful, wonderful place. But anyway, there was one of the counselors that teachers that was uh, playing with us, and he used to give us this thing called uh, rocket rides, which were um, you know, he'd sort of lay on his back and he'd bend his legs and you'd sort of sit down on his, on his feet. And then he would launch you by extending very rapidly his legs and you'd, you'd go, uh, you know, several feet forward and you'd land on the grass somewhere. And we did this over and over and over again. It was really fun. Uh, however, uh, in this particular case, the timing was off. I perhaps was at the wrong balance point when he pushed or whatever. And it launched me face first. 
Ooh, yikes. So I tilted in the arc of, of the trajectory. You know, I landed forward and um, not knowing how to fall properly. My arms were extended to break my fall. And I broke something. Mm. <laughs> I'm not sure if it broke my fall, but it sure broke my arm. Yeah. Uh, I didn't know that it was broken. I just heard a loud snap. And there was an intense ache that shot through my arm. And I began to hyperventilate and panic. And um, I was definitely suffering, mm. crying. And, and as a little kid, just confused and scared. And at one point, I asked the person who I probably trusted the most at that time in my life, uh, Marianne Somerville. She's like a second mother to me. Um, but I, I was flailing around looking for, for someone to give me some kind of solace. Yeah. And I looked at her and I said, is it broken? And she said, yes, it is. And she nodded her head very slowly and solemnly and with concerned eyes. And as soon as she did that, the pain reduced by, I don't know, a lot. Let's just say a lot. Because emotionally, I felt safe that I understood what was going on. Yeah. And then it was just a matter of dealing with whatever it was that was going on. Right. So you see, I was suffering and feeling pain. But when the suffering was removed, I could deal with the pain. You could deal with the pain. Wow. What a beautiful story. Wow. That's, I mean, you know, here we have a story about a broken arm and pain and suffering. And it is beautiful. You know, it's because what's that story about? You know, that story is about human connection. You know, And, and I think that's one of the lessons in dealing with pain is that other people in society could use some tips in learning how to be there with somebody when they're having pain. And, um, this, this lady who helped you in that moment did just the right thing. You she know? did. Well, um, she yeah. knew that all I wanted was the truth because she had taken the time to get to know me and to really see me for who I was. Um, she wasn't projecting, uh, Oh, this is a kid. I'm just going to tell him a little story. Uh, you know, a, a well, well-intended lie. He's asking for the truth. And I believe that he wants the truth. And I'm, regardless of his age, he's asking for the truth. I'm going to give it to him. And she knew that if she gave it to me, that I, that she'd be honoring the, the quote unquote contract, the, the unwritten contract we had between us, which was to be truthful to one another. Yeah. Wow. So I felt, I felt honored in that moment. Wow. Uh, respected as a human being, not just thought of as a child. Wow. That's a great story. Yeah. Yeah. It meant a lot to me. You know, um, we had credit built even more after that moment. Yeah. Oh, that's great. And did that teach you something about how you should respond to people that are in pain? Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I, I knew, but that, that cemented those, well, experiences like that cemented Mm -hmm. the idea for me. Nice. In my own personal work, um, I stay alert for what I, what I believe is my sense of what people are really asking me. Yeah. And I try not to um, pigeonhole people and concepts and generalize too much. I try to stay uh, true to what I hear from people. And, um, you know, to a large extent, I, I do listen as best I can to really get to know what I think people are really asking me. Mm-hmm. You do that. Yeah, I see that in you. Now that you're putting that into words, uh-huh. I totally see that in you. That, that, that's how you respond. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's important to me. It's yeah. a value I hold. Yeah.
attitude is everything when you're dealing with pain. Right. You know, I've fortunately and unfortunately have met many, 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 many people who are in pain, Yeah. you know, um, and that's just because of my professions, you know, uh, as an acupuncturist and occupational therapist, people that respond to pain with increased fear, people that respond with anxiety. Um, I've seen people respond with stoicism, you know, mm-hmm. and I've seen people respond with laughter and a, and a sense of acceptance. And that plays a gigantic role in ultimately how they fare, how they get better, um, uh, how it affects their lives or not. You know, that's a very real thing. You know, attitude, attitude is everything. And that is really, really difficult to approach with somebody when they, when they have a bad attitude about their pain, it's really tough to deal with. And when I've had pain, it's hard to have a good attitude. (laughs) Yeah, it is. But as we've determined from seeing that so many times, how you hold your attention is going to affect your experience so much. Just understanding the mechanics of what's wrong with your body or, Mm -hmm. or to understand that you've had, you know, whatever trauma in your life, emotionally or or psychologically, um, isn't enough. Um, this is why as great as, uh, standard therapy can be in in some Mm -hmm. settings, in some situations. Mm -hmm. It's not really good for quite a lot of people's experiences. Yeah. You know, they they can go over and over and over again about portions of their life and and become very, very good at describing their problem, but it doesn't make the problem go away. So understanding, you know, what started it all or why they feel the way they feel isn't exactly a formula for feeling good about it. Right. Um, For some reason, people have that idea that that's going to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to actually make everything better. But many people have discovered, as I have and you have, that unless you make some essential change in the way you think and look at your your situation, mm-hmm. unless you're focused on a solution, unless you're making real changes to the way you're processing it, there won't be any change. You're going to just literally be very good at describing the problem, and it'll be the same problem for years and years and years to come. Now, that's not true in all cases, but tends to be true for a Mm -hmm. lot of people and 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 with medicine if you don't recognize that there's a connection with the choices you're making and how you're treating your body um one pain can be an indication of that neglect which leads to other types of pain in the body because you're not handling the problem you keep looking for uh, a magic pill or a surgery or something or an injection of some kind that's going to fix it right um, but you're not really addressing the core of the problem. Yeah. Which is why I think it's so fascinating what you do, not just from the occupational therapy standpoint of helping people to get back to meaningful activities and, and feeling useful again in their life, but w- using this um, ancient form of uh, adjusting people's experience through needles and uh, carefully chosen herbs and things like that, which you do to stimulate people to get back to health and back to feeling pain-free again. Yeah. Well, thank you. You know, um, something I'd like to point out about acupuncture in order to lay down on a table and Mm -hmm. allow somebody to put needles in you in order to overcome your pain, Mm -hmm. you first, whether it's conscious or unconscious, and usually it's unconscious, you have to accept the fact that you are opening yourself up to the potential for pain. 
Good point. And and that that mindset alone, I think, See what I did is there. A, good point. Yeah, good point. Beautiful. <laughs> right. Um, so when when somebody says, "Hey, my neck hurts," or "I have migraines." And they come and see me for an acupuncture treatment and they lay down on the table and I'm about to put needles in. Now, generally acupuncture is not, you know, a painful experience. You know, the truth is, you know, it could be, you know, it can be, it's, it's, it's not generally that bad, but the person has to lay there and say, okay, I'm willing to accept pain in order to deal with my pain. And isn't that a great first step? It is. It's a pre-frame. It is. Yeah. And, and I believe that it's sort of tapping into that universal truth, you know, that you gotta, you gotta face the problem in order to face the problem. You know what I mean? You gotta turn towards it in order to face it, I guess, you know, um, know what you're dealing with. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And be ready to do what it takes too. I think more importantly is being ready to do what it takes because, uh, at least from my perspective, um, if they're willing to do what it takes, Mm -hmm. uh, a part of them saying, I'm ready to let go of this. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's quite a commitment, and not just with acupuncture, but if somebody's going to go get an injection or get a surgery, um, or go through some sort of treatment that has the potential for discomfort, right? That's a commitment. That's the beginning of a commitment. I'm going to start doing what I I'm going to face what I need to face in order to deal with this pain, right? You know, and it's a requirement. It's sort of a universal requirement. It's so close that it's easy to miss, but that is a truth that's there every time we do it. That's true. So Satch, you know, a, a lot of people don't even realize that NLP and hypnosis can be used to control pain. Hypnotic anesthesia and analgesia, which is reduction in pain, obviously, um, you know, it's a well-known phenomenon for people who study pain. Each of us has a way of relating to our internal experiences, right? Okay. Uh, we create uh, metaphors for things. You say, I'm feeling blue when you're feeling sad. Yeah. You know? Uh, she treated me coldly. Uh, it stings. Oh, I feel a sharp stabbing pain or whatever. There's different descriptors we'll use. And those are metaphors for the type of experience that you're having internally, right? So what we've found through practice is that if you adjust those metaphors, the descriptors of how reality is being constructed in an individual, you can change the experience of it. So for example, if someone is describing their pain as a shooting pain that goes from one part of their body to the other, simply changing the direction or changing the shooting feeling, uh, to a soft feeling or changing, you know, uh, if they have a color associated with it and they change the color, boom, uh, changing the color can shift the whole experience for them. There's obviously subjective component going on there. Oh, it, it is very subjective. Pain is one of the most subjective things. That's what's so hard to measure. You don't have a device like a thermometer that you can just stick in somebody's mouth and get a pain measurement. It is a subjective thing to measure. And that's why we have to use things like Likert scales where, you know, Mm -hmm. zero to 10, what's your pain? Uh, That is a subjective measure Mm -hmm. of pain. And it's hard to deal with the subjective. The things that you can do uh, utilizing trance, utilizing metaphors, language, changing the descriptions that they themselves are using, as uh, well as you, the practitioner, how you're speaking to them, you know, what questions you're asking them. And then stage two, we might start saying, what do you feel? Yeah. So initially we're asking, where's okay. the pain? And we're, we're actually wanting them to, to seek out that pain. But then 
as things progress, we might start asking or shifting our language around to say, you know, what do you feel there now? Or, or we might even make it more abstract and say, you know, from one to 10, um, what number are you at? You see, rather okay. than how much pain is there? Yeah. Right. Cause it's, that immediately it's like, you know, you can't not think of a blue elephant. Yeah. You know, you, as soon as you create the image, the mind searches for it. So sometimes we'll play with that a little bit. And that, I think that's the, maybe the domain or specialty of, um, people who do NLP and hypnosis, but it doesn't have to be. I mean, you could, um, adjust and create cleaner languaging, um, everywhere in medicine, you know, uh, not just, uh, with the hypnotist or the NLP guy, the gal, um, but also at the doctor's office, at the dentist's office, at the acupuncturist's office, the chiropractor's office, the massage therapist's office, and believe it or not, at home, parents with children. You know, learning a few key points around that can make a big difference in, you know, their subjective experience of pain. story about the mind and pain cool so i was um giving an acupuncture talk and demonstration to a group of physical therapy assistant students and this is a talk i'd given a few times before and with this particular group we had a nice time in there um and i always like to start those kinds of things with just a very brief introduction and i like to jump right into a demonstration because i find that people need to experience that this stuff actually works and can work instantaneously in front of everybody in the room. Right. And then as soon as they see that, then, then they want to hear what I have to say. And it's always fun to do this with physical therapists because, um, uh, uh, they're so smart and they're so talented. Um, and they also get, um, so into what they're learning that it's fun to do something to totally completely shake it up. Yeah. Right. Throw them. Yeah, absolutely. And so, so in this, this room of students, um, I said, okay, um, who wants to try this? Anybody have some pain right now? You know, headache, stiff neck, you know, what, what do we have in here that, that, you know, we might be able to use for demonstration. And this young lady, um, stepped forward. She said, yeah, I'll try it. You know, and I forget exactly what her, her, it might've been a headache or a, a backache or something that she had. And I put in a couple of needles and I said to her these words, I said, okay, I'm um, go ahead and kind of move the area around. And where's the pain now? And she starts moving around. She goes, Hmm, is this the placebo effect? <laughs> <laughs> and everybody started to laugh. And I looked at her and I, I said, does it matter? And then everybody laughed even more. Right. And uh, so it was funny how, you know, we had this short discussion about how we can do this technique and relieve pain. And what was her concern? I could tell she was concerned about looking like a fool in front of her colleagues because she didn't want anybody to think that she was duped by this placebo effect thing, this trick. Right. It it makes me want to ask, uh, is the pain real? Right, right. Yeah, that's a great question. Yeah. And 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 one of the things I told her, I says, Yeah, I said, you know, the placebo effect is is awesome. I said, wouldn't that be great if we could just make everybody's pain go away without having to do any treatment? I think the placebo effect needs to be researched more. 
you yeah. know, and, and it was great. I could just see smiles all around the room because it's like, there's this idea of there's, there's real and there's not real and there's us and there's them. And there's all these, these black and white concepts in the minds that started to, to merge and it was hilarious. And we all were laughing together and having a good time. And people started coming forward and, and trying it out. And, uh, uh, th- I went over with my time and the students want, wanted to stay and continue working. They didn't care that the class was over, Nice, you know, which is very, very rare. Right. Yeah. And, uh, I felt really good about that because I, I think I was able to share something authentic with them so that they could, um, you know, sort of expand their horizons because they're all going to be working with a lot of pain, you know? Um, but that was a fun story. That's cool. It's not, yeah, it sounds like you really opened their eyes to, um, some other possibilities, and I would bet that more than a more than a couple of them would be willing to refer to an acupuncturist if they knew the acupuncturist and and felt you know like they had the kind of expertise that you've had. Yeah, you've had a lot of years and a lot of training and a lot of learnings around uh, even different systems of acupuncture, haven't you? Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. There's um, uh, you know, Japanese and traditional Chinese style and. A lot of various methods from uh, you know five element schools and some interesting stuff out of Taiwan and uh, uh, my favorite though was uh, learning the balance method with Richard Tan who mm. passed away uh, recently um, the most amazing acupuncturist I had ever seen and that's how I learned to have the confidence to just who's got pain popping a needle and where's the pain now moved over here popping a needle where's the pain now over here popping a needle it's gone you know and um, that was a wonderful feeling to be able to offer that to people, yeah. you know, to be able to do that for people. Well, it, it shows, and I think it's important that it shows, Satch, because mm. um, unconsciously when we come to see you, um, you know, I don't think we're looking for arrogance. We're looking for confidence, and you have that. Mm. And it comes across as confidence, real genuine confidence uh, um, combined with a, with a very um, considerate, caring persona. Uh, you feel, I think everyone would feel safe <laughs> with you. Oh, thank you. I know you. I feel safe thank with you. you, but I, I've seen, you know, I've taken my friends to see you and girlfriends mm. through the years and things like that. So uh, being able to trust that you, that they're in good care, they're in good hands when they're with you is a, is a great thing. And, and unconsciously um, that's another preframe, another uh, mental framework that's being laid right as they first meet you, right as they walk in to be under your care, because um, they're about to be, you know, uh, questioned and needled and manipulated in ways, yeah. uh, that are going to help them to find a pain-free or, or reduction yeah. in pain or whatever it is, some kind of resolution to their problem. Right. Right. Oh, well, thank you for those kind words, you know? Yeah. Um, in Chinese medicine, there is a beautiful saying that all acupuncturists learn this in school. Uh, and it goes something like this, where there is pain, there is no free flow. Where there is free flow, there is no pain. Hmm. I want to take a moment and talk about free flow. Yeah, what are they talking about? There? Yeah, what are they talking about? So, so pain, according to Chinese medicine, is when an area of the body is experiencing a lack of free flow. And what is it that is not flowing freely? Uh, well, there's the broad concept of chi and we did it. We did an entire show on chi, right? Right. right. My description of chi is that it's a metaphor, but for the most part, it's, it's a metaphor of energy, you know, flowing through the body. Um, so in Chinese medicine, we say if chi is not flowing freely, if blood is not flowing freely, 
um, then there is going to be pain, going to be obstruction. But in Chinese medicine, we don't make a big differentiation of the physical body versus the mind. Mm-hmm. So I'd like to, you know, sort of point this out and, and expand this concept to say that it's not just your body that has to be flowing freely, your mind and emotions need to be flowing freely as well in order to deal with pain. And so here's, here's a good example. And you'll recognize what this is in NLP instantaneously. I uh, used to work in a skilled nursing facility and had a lot of old ladies that had arthritis and we had a paraffin wax bath, you know, which is, you know, little, little, like a little small um, tub filled with um, hot wax and you can dip your hands in it. Yeah, and those then you, are great. They're wonderful. They're just glorious. I right? love those things. And so you dip your hands in the wax several times and you let the wax just sort of instantaneously hardens around your hands and you wrap them up in a bag and some towels and, and let your hands just soak in the heat and it gets it all the nooks so and crannies. Good. Oh, it is just amazing, right? Yeah. Um, a lot of the um, you know beauty salons and things do it too, you know, to like make your skin soft, the hands and feet. So a lot of these um, elderly people had sensitive skin. And when I took the lid off and I had them put their hand in it, the first couple of people that did that, they dipped their fingers halfway in and they jerk and they go, oh, it's too hot. And they'd pull their hand out and they wouldn't want to do it. Right. And then I realized I need to set this up for them. Pre-frame. Pre-frame. <laughs> there we go, right? And so this is what I would do. I would say, now, this is a paraffin wax bath. And this, this nice warm wax inside this little tub is going to be hot like a jacuzzi. It's hot, but it won't burn you, just like a jacuzzi won't burn you. So go ahead and just let your hands just dip into the jacuzzi. And I never, ever again, in all my years working there, had anybody not be able to put their hands into the hot wax and pull it Wow. So what does that say? They, some, people perceived, some people perceived that they were being burned, and they pulled their hand out. That's pain. That's a, that's a response to a noxious stimulus. Um, as soon as I told them that it's like something that they're already familiar with, that's hot, that they've had wonderful experiences with, and they never got burned, then their brain interpreted that noxious stimulus a little bit differently, and they could handle the heat. Personally, I, I've always wanted to be good at martial arts, and I've yeah. studied all my life uh, and wanted that. Um, but you know, we're, we're our own worst critics, and we yeah. often uh, are really hard on ourselves. And yes. I, I have to say that I'm I'm no exception to that. Sure. Um, you know, once my martial art teacher said something to me that made a big difference, and it relates to what we're talking about. What he said was, "Don't try to be good at Tai Chi. Just try to understand Tai Chi." Mm, ask yeah. yourself what is taiji don't yeah. try to be like me or don't try to impress me don't try to be good right just try to understand nice and i thought about wow. it because um really there's an intent to want to be good for my own sake I want to be good and I have this image of what I think good is and so I'm comparing against what I have and it's stealing away the joy it's creating yeah. tension and frustration, sometimes even sadness, because you know when you dedicate yourself to something, you don't quite feel like you've nailed it. 
It can feel painful. Yes, absolutely. And it creates suffering. Yeah. You know, desires that are unmet and, and so on. And then also there's the social component of wanting to feel like you're being successful to your teacher who you've dedicated many, many years to. Yeah. And, and there's a, I think a natural inclination when you feel loyal and love for your, and respect for your teacher that you want to be good for them too. Yeah. He adamantly pointed out that that was unnecessary and the wrong way to do it. Mm. Don't do that. What, what a favor he did you. Yeah. It was a favor. Moment. It was harsh at yeah. the time. It sounded harsh Yeah, and it, it didn't feel good, right. but I knew that it was the truth. And sometimes just like learning that my arm had been broken Yes. The truth can set you free in a way. It can it can eliminate some of the suffering. And I have thought about that statement ever since. Yeah. And I've worked on myself to be less concerned. Yeah. About being good at Tai Chi. Yeah. That's nice. You yeah. know, I think I think to take this idea that you're sharing uh-huh. and infuse it into pain, something that I've done and something that I've encouraged a lot of my clients to do is start generating thankfulness for the knee that doesn't hurt. Start generating thankfulness and appreciation and relief that the other side of the neck feels fine. Right. You know what I mean? Because if if, if we have pain, if, if my left finger hurts, I'm so focused on the pain. What am I doing? I'm creating more pain. I'm thinking about pain. I'm putting that vibration into my being and into my surroundings about pain, 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 pain. And what do I want? I want the opposite of pain. So to put my focus on what I want, if every time the left finger hurts, go, boy, that right finger is feeling fantastic today. Mm. Because what do I want? I want my finger to feel good. Yeah. So I also found myself doing that with patients. If somebody were to come in and, and they have back pain, if I'm not having back pain that day, I start to be thankful for the fact that, you know, I'm so grateful that my back is strong and healthy and, and that qualifies me to help this person, you know, and that maybe some of my energy will, my, my energy of focusing on health will somehow start to influence them. Right. Um, and, you know, I've had pain, you know, um, I've had neck pain and back pain and knee pain and foot pain. You and I are runners, so yeah. we'll step on sharp rocks and we'll have little injuries and... and little and chingoncitos. Little chingoncitos, right. And uh, with your martial arts background, you've had a lot of injuries, you know, and I know that you do have a lot of chronic pain. Um, and it's a really interesting thing to put some effort into spending time every day appreciating all the things that feel great. Listening to the Authenticity Show, where you get to eavesdrop on great conversations about health, creativity, and the quest for excellence. Your hosts are Carlos Casados and Satch Purcell. Next up, Carlos and Satch continue their conversation about pain and various ways of conceptualizing it, living with it, and overcoming it.
So I think we were we were running recently, and and uh, you know we often have these authentic conversations when we run. I think um, we were talking about the law of attraction, um, and focusing on what you can do rather than on what you can't do. So there's been a lot of strange, sometimes silly things uh, written about and spoken about the law of attraction out there. And there's also some profoundly useful things. So without getting really in depth into the law of attraction, I think that it's important to point out that we are attracting things all the time. The mechanisms behind that may not be fully understood and we may not be able to speak definitely about um, you know, what principles are really in play to create that. But there does seem to be, at least subjectively, a quality of attracting things to our lives. And I think one of the most important things about it is to focus on what you want. The idea that what you focus on expands. Like the mind has a flashlight and whatever it's focusing on is the thing that you receive a lot of data about. And the more you do that and the more it changes your behavior, the more you tend to filter your experiences accordingly. And of course, the results you get in the world physically are going to change. So the guiding point behind all that is when there's something not working in your life to focus on what you can do rather than continually looping about the things that are not going well, it brings you to a better result faster. Uh, if you're having financial trouble, for example, I'm not saying that by using the law of attraction, you're going to wish all that money and magically it's going to come falling into your lap. That's not really what I'm saying. And I think you and I know that because we've mm-hmm. discussed this, but I think a person listening um, might hear the word law or the phrase law of attraction and think, oh, that's what they're talking about. But that's not yeah. really what I'm saying. I, I'm not, I don't know what the law of attraction, the limits to it are. Yeah. I don't know what's possible. Uh, completely. I just know what I've experienced and mm-hmm. I'm open to experiencing more. Yeah. So I've seen more and more in my life is that if I just focus on what I can do about my situation, that it not only gets me through whatever problems were existing but, and bringing me uh, closer and closer to a solution, but it also seems to invite more positive occurrences. Uh, when it comes to my physical pain, the chronic, you mentioned the chronic pain. Yeah, I, I've had chronic pain, but it's not the same every day. There's some days when I feel like an absolute tiger. You know, I'm down doing crazy different kinds of push-ups and jumping in the air and feeling comfortable climbing and grappling and wrestling. And other days when it just hurts to get out of bed, yeah. literally. Yeah. Um, I, I roll out and I'm like, oh, oh, that hurts. Yeah. Or I take a few steps and my feet are cramping. Yeah. And, uh, those are very different types of days for me. But if I focus on the pain too much and I start to loop, I create suffering because I'm focused on the problem instead of thinking about what they talk about in physical therapy, which is movement without pain mm-hmm. helps you move. Right. If you, if you keep moving with the pain, well, you could aggravate the problem. Yeah. So focusing on what you can do is a huge principle when you're dealing with any kind of pain, what can you do? Quit staying stuck in the problem. Focus on a solution. Keep your eyes turned towards what you want and less on what you don't want. 
Well said. Yeah. You know, and just, just speaking of the law of attraction, I just read a quote today that huh. said, don't let what you cannot do interfere with what you can do. <laughs> Perfect. And, and this principle is very much a part of a lot of therapy practices. And when I, I mean like physical, occupational, you know, athletic trainers, these, these types of, of professionals, we talk about the, uh, uh, the pain spasm cycle. You know, let's say you, you hurt your arm and so you hurt your shoulder. Pain causes guarding. We don't want to move it because it hurts, but then not moving it causes stiffness and then stiffness causes more pain, which makes you not want to move it more. So then you don't move it more and then it gets stiffer and then stiffness causes even more pain. You know what I mean? And how do you break that cycle by focusing on what you can do? Hmm. My shoulder hurts, but can I move my scapula around? You know, my shoulder hurts, but can I still flex and extend my elbow? You know, and, and, and that's often a way that therapists will approach a painful part of the body is, okay, we can't move this part of the body right now, but what parts of the body can we move? And let's affect the painful part by moving everything else that we can. I had a physical therapist friend who did a a great little little trick with this elderly woman that he was working with. She was having neck pain and he was trying to get her to move her ear towards her shoulder, but it hurts. She says, oh, I can't do it. And he says, okay. He says, well, just move it a little bit and keep it right there. And I want you to bring your shoulder. I want you to shrug your shoulder and touch your ear with your shoulder. Huh. So basically what he was doing is the same darn motion, except he was approaching it from the other side. Right. And by doing that several times, it loosened up her neck and then she was able to actually get her ear a lot closer to her shoulder. Oh, know? that's great. <laughs> so, so she couldn't bend her, her neck towards her shoulder, but she could bring her shoulder towards her ear and it was kind of the same motion. He focused on what she could do and that made a difference in what she previously couldn't do. Yeah. It's often about thinking outside the box, but when people are locked into the pain or the fear or the anxiety around something, it becomes very difficult for them to think outside the box. Yes, absolutely. And and, and that's why I think people that have pain, you need to seek the assistance of others. Just going to say that. You, yeah. 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 You have to, you know, if I'm in pain, even though I'm a practitioner, I have to seek the assistance of others. Like I might come to you and say, Hey Carlos, could you, uh, would you mind working on my neck a little bit? Yeah. You know, it's, if, if I'm the one who owns the problem, yeah, a lot of the solutions are inside of me. But part of that is to say, Hey, you know, get outside of yourself, get some other perspectives, you know, let others inspire you, you know, to, to approach the problem differently. Right. I mean, and many lawyers, uh, don't try to handle their own divorces. They hire someone they know. Right, right. To handle it yeah. because they're outside the problem and they're able to look at it from a non-problem uh, centered focus. You yeah. Know, they're, they're not right. wrapped up in the suffering part of it. Yeah. You know, all, all doctors learn this, this cute little phrase that says, a doctor who treats themselves has a fool for a patient. I started having neck pain some years ago, and um, you you probably recall that time. Um, I do. I woke up one morning and I felt a click in the left side of my lower neck, and it was 
excruciating pain traveled down my arm. I mean, it was 24-7. It was really, really, really bad neck pain. And I've had neck pain before, and I was always able to treat it myself. But this neck pain was a little different. And I could treat it a little bit, and it would go away, and then it would come back, and I would treat it, and it would come back. And um, I think you probably worked on it, and I had some massages and had various things, and I mm-hmm. practiced various exercises and, and did my little my auriculotherapy ear seed treatments and different things that I could to manage the pain. And uh, two things I want to say about that neck pain. One of the things that helped me is one day I had a realization and the realization was, it just suddenly hit me like a ton of bricks. Oh my gosh. My neck pain started right when my wife, Tanya, who has MS, Mm -hmm. lost the use of her left arm. And it just seemed so obvious and truthful to me that that was my body making a little mark, making a little scar. That was, right. that was something had, had to give. And at that moment, it was the left side of my lower neck, right? And what was very interesting is ever since I had that realization, I continued to have pain and it would come and it would go. But I was at much more ease with my pain after I realized what the root cause was, or at least the root emotional cause. Mm-hmm. Now, whether or not that's entirely true really doesn't matter it caused me to have compassion for myself. And that compassion for myself really helped me deal with my pain better. I had to stop looking at my pain as I did for a long time as this bad thing in my life. You know, it's, you know, is it a good thing? Well, hard to say that exactly. But when I had compassion for myself, like, oh, look at him. He had a problem. You know, he was feeling bad about it. It was overwhelming. His body reacted. He had been, Oh, I can have compassion for myself for that. That's a natural thing to experience. And it helped me deal with the pain. So this went on and I was really at ease with my pain for a long time after that. And then all of a sudden, even my own little tricks and treatments stopped working. Mm. And what did I do? I went and I sought out a, a chiropractor. Mm-hmm. You know, I did my research. I, I found somebody that I felt really comfortable with and who was a good practitioner And I started seeing this individual and he has helped me tremendously. And I've been pain-free in my neck for months now, you know, that's awesome. I realized at some point this has gotten beyond my ability and I no longer want to have a fool for a patient (laughs) myself. (laughs) And so I thought, I don't want to go see an acupuncturist. I have to do something that is not my field. Yeah. I need to put my trust and my faith into another and it was a wise decision and it helped me a lot. And I'm so much better now for doing it. That, that's an awesome example because um, it speaks to more than just the pain in your neck. It speaks to expansion of your consciousness, really. Yeah. Uh, to become yeah. And, to, and to identify even to a larger world. One way of describing, I think people will say, getting outside your comfort zone. Sure. I prefer the idea of expanding your comfort zone. And that little nuance, that shift in the way I say that now, um, I picked up from a teacher of mine um, who who really conveyed why that was so important. I mean, why on earth would you want to get outside your comfort zone? That doesn't even sound like a good idea. Right. That's like getting outside your balance and falling off the edge of a cliff. Right. Or it's freezing cold out there. Why don't you get out of your sleeping bag and take all your clothes off and just sit on a cold rock? <laughs> That's a great example. No yeah. way. Instead... 
expand your comfort zone. You know, he pointed out that that makes sense. And even on an unconscious level, uh, to be able to expand your comfort zone means you're becoming emotionally larger of a human being. You're capable of, of containing much more and handling much more. Uh, so I love that idea because as a person who, who likes to expand, you know, yeah. expand my mind and expand my experiences and expand my reach, uh, expand my talents, etc. The whole idea of expanding my comfort zone to include things that were formerly not comfortable. Yeah. Carlos, that is a beautiful um, phrase to say that. I, I have picked that up from you, by the way. Cool. I've heard you say that for a long time now, and, and I've, I've picked it up and started using it because, let's face it, what is it that is outside of our comfort zone? Pain. Yeah. Right? But if you expand your comfort zone, you can expand it even through areas of pain in your life, you know? And, well, then that pain's gone or, or dealt with differently, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, we, we started off this conversation talking about, you know, uh, the silver lining of pain. You know, like you had pointed out just now, my, my neck pain ended up being a source of expansion in my life. I've met new people because of my neck pain. I've learned about myself. I developed compassion for myself because of that pain. But only if I didn't run from it. Only if I practiced acceptance. And only if I chose to turn and face it. And not face it as an adversary. Right. But to face it with curiosity. conversation about pain unless we talk a little bit about vipassana meditation <laughs> yeah for which sure which is something we've both done yeah um we've both done the um sn goenka tradition um of vipassana meditation uh 10 day course right nine days of silence and when you're meditating for 12 14 hours a day you experience pain yeah the vipassana training was a bit of i could really see that it was a microcosm of the macrocosm of my life Mm. Okay. Because it's a condensed 10 day period where I got to see utilizing the mirror of my mind and my circumstances myself. And that includes, you know, all the parts, the, the difficult parts, the painful parts, the ugly parts, the parts that I fight against, uh, discomforts, uh, what we call aversions, understanding that and not running from it. And choosing, making making it a, a, a sacred vow, if you will, to to not run away, but to to be curious, as you were talking about. Yeah, um, absolutely taught me important things. Yeah, uh, I haven't really ever encountered a situation that I couldn't relate vipassana to, and that includes working with my own pain, working with the pain of my clients, uh, applying hypnosis and NLP and different modes of thinking. Uh, at their core, these basic truths inform and modify those things. Yeah. yeah. Makes sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So it's been really useful to me. Yeah. I thought that Vipassana, to use a phrase I learned in Vipassana training, that it retrained the habit pattern of the mind Mm. uh, to not just automatically react to things like pain. Yeah. But to to actually um, just observe... And not have craving, not have aversion, 
you know, and, and that was, that was very, very useful. It's, it's been a, a really wonderful tool. You gives know, you more to, choices, doesn't it? Yeah, it does give you more choices. It's like, I was thinking about that actually. It's like, why would you do it? Well, why would you not want to have more choice? Right. Why exactly. would you want to be a slave to, um, to your old reactions instead? Right. You know, what if you could envision yourself as being eventually a master of your own circumstances? Right. You know, as, as you were saying that it caused me to think of like, what are a lot of phrases that represent choices that we, th- or we think are the only choices we have around pain? Like for example, uh, grin and bear it. Yeah. Um, just deal with it. White knuckle it. Yeah. Ignore it. Mm-hmm. Bite the bullet, you know, buckle down. Yeah. Um, get your mind off of it. Think of something else. Right. I, I remember my grandfather telling it's me a cross st- to bear. Yeah. I remember my grandfather telling me a story about, I think his mother or his grandmother, had a toothache, so she put a pebble in her shoe so, <laughs> that, so that the pain in her foot would take her mind off of the toothache. Right. Right. So, certainly, you know, uh, an innovative technique, right? But again, I think it comes down to the idea that we think that we either have to run from the pain or we have to bear it somehow. Right. And Vipassana teaches that there is another option. You can turn and observe it, you can study it. You know, it's, if it's going to be there, it's going to be there. Right, and I think it's important for for us to to differentiate something there. Um, to observe it doesn't necessarily mean you're focusing on it for the purpose of just focusing on it. And the reason why I'm differentiating that yeah. is because remember earlier when I was saying how what you focus on expands. Yes. Well, we discover when we're doing vipassana meditation that that little itch. Yeah, when you begin to focus on it, it does expand. It does. But, it but gets worse. Yeah. It also, if you keep doing it, if you keep going, you can discover that you can play with the sensation simply by observing it, by by yeah. noticing that um, what Goenka instructed was, which was okay. If you're noticing that itch on your nose, um, and noticing that it had a beginning, and noticing that it because it had a beginning, it must therefore have an end because there's no such thing as an eternal itch, et cetera, right. et cetera. We remember that, yeah, I love that, that. Uh, wonderful uh, description. But he also uh, asked the question, well, how big is the itch? Where exactly is the itch? Where does, where's the top portion of it? Where's the bottom portion? Where's the left, the right? Uh, how deeply does it penetrate? Uh, what would happen or, or uh, what is at the very center of that itch as opposed to noticing it as a whole? Um, and so as he guided you to explore the different components and layers of that sensation, magically, as if by magic, <laughs> um, often the pain or the itch just vanishes. often use scales in therapy to rate pain doctors use scales right there's something called a likert scale which is like a zero to ten thing and you you know zero is no pain and ten is is the most pain you've ever experienced in your life and you want to be knocked out right Hmm. there's also the the wong baker pain scale which is a bunch of faces you know sad faces up to happy faces you know to allow people that don't have verbal abilities to point you know to the type of pain they have these are the things you see in doctor some some uh 
physical therapy and doctor's offices yeah, and acupuncture exactly. offices. And yeah, exactly. Chiropractor's offices. Yeah. Those sorts of tools can be very interesting tools to add to the observation process. And I remember feeling pain while I was observing my pain and realizing that, well, where does the pain start? What's the border of the pain? I started to notice things like, well, I thought that my whole right hip was hurting. But now that I'm observing it, I realize that there's only one little pinpoint that's actually the center of the pain. Mm. And my mind was creating an amplification of this area six inches in diameter all around that pain. But if I realize that, what is my pain on a Likert scale, you know, zero to 10 in the center? Okay, well, maybe that's an eight. But what's the pain six inches away on the outskirt where I do feel some pain? Well, that's actually a, a, th- a three. You know, and I could see that the pain is in the center and it radiates out. And then it got to the point where I realized that the rest of that pain does, it's like nothing to even be concerned about. It's just the pinpoint that I need to be. So the pinpoint is an eight. So I ended up decreasing the size of my pain by, you know, like down to just a pinpoint, which is much easier to deal with. That's great. (laughs) Than a six inch or 12 inch ball of pain in your, in your glute or something when you're sitting on it. Well, I think, uh, both you and I use um, a number scale when we're dealing with pain. Um, how do you find that useful in your practice? I find it useful because you can get a baseline measurement. Um, I find it useful because you can you know, do a, a pre and post treatment. But it's also nice for patients to begin to use it themselves because they start to notice that. Because what happens with a lot of clients is they come in, I'm just in constant pain. Okay, well, how much pain? A lot. Okay, so zero to 10. Let's go ahead and try to get some numbers here. And then next thing I know, they're using it themselves. And they're come in, coming in and they're telling me, you know, my pain used to be like an eight every day. Yeah. Like all the time. And now I'm noticing it's like, you know, it's like a four and I can deal with a four. You know, the other thing is sometimes clients have pain and the only thing on their mind or, or the only goal that would be acceptable to them in the beginning is, no pain at all. I have pain and want it gone. And then after a while, they might realize that they do have a very serious chronic condition and maybe zero pain might not be realistic for them. So we sort of have to make a decision. What level would be acceptable to you? Oh, well, I could live with a three or four out of 10. Okay, good, good. So it doesn't have to be zero in order to improve your life and to go to work and play with your kids, you know? you can function with a three, you know, and if it's, and if it's an eight, then you know that it's time to rest. It's time to take it easy. Early on in, in a session with somebody, I'll often ask them. So if we were to create an effect today, like a change in your level of comfort, and I don't know what that level is yet. Maybe we'll be able to get it all the way down from a 10 down to a zero. If that would happen, that's great. But what level of change were you absolutely looking for today? So that by the time you walk out of this office, like what would you consider a success? If we could take your level eight to say down to a level five, would you consider that a success or would you need it to be further than that in order for you to feel that you've had a success today? Right. What's your concept of how long it's going to take? Because if I know what their preframe is in their mind, I can work with that. Yeah, and it allows you to avoid unrealistic expectations and disappointments and things right. like that. Exactly. Yeah. Handling the expectations is super important 
because um, expectation is their preframe for what the problem is and, and what they're capable of experiencing or what they're allowing into their experience. So that helps me a lot when I'm using hypnosis or some of the NLP pain modification methods and things um, because I need to know what that is so that I can work with it. We can absolutely change it. Yeah. And I'll frame it in such a way that, hey, if we get uh, better than those results, you're not going to be upset with me, are you? Oh, like, yeah. Okay. Great. Um, and, and then it's sort of embedded into the concept that uh, they could possibly have a better than, than uh, average result. And I don't tell That's them what beautiful. average is. I just tell them to look for what they look for. And I'll sometimes um, ask them initially. Uh, initially, I may talk about it as pain. But then towards the middle and end, I don't refer to the word pain as much. I'll tend to say, what number are you at? Where are you at with it now? What level of comfort are you feeling at this point? You know, yeah. How much improvement have you noticed? Because I don't want to, while their mind is, is um, freshly hypnotized or just post-hypnosis, you know, right after that moment, while their, their mind is still highly suggestible, I don't want to embed the idea that pain is in there after I've done all that great work, you know, especially if we've, if we've been able to, to confirm with them that, right. oh yeah, oh my gosh, I feel so much better. Wow. It's down, it's down really low right now. I think maybe like a one or a two and this is fantastic. I haven't felt this good in a long time. I, I don't want to then. So where's that pain that you used to have? Uh, right. you know, I don't want them to think about that. I don't want them to find it. Yeah. So, you know, you've you replaced know? the word pain with various numbers which are, are a lot more neutral right and and i'm getting them to think about in terms of level of comfort rather than level of pain yeah uh but initially i will because i want to be i don't want to mismatch i yeah. want to stay in sync with their uh mode of thinking so they, yeah. they know that i'm i'm in there in the trenches with them yeah but then i want to guide them out of the trenches little by little i'll sometimes use the numbers to give them some hope yeah um, and one of the ways I'll do that is I'll tell them something like, you know, and, and I'm not manipulating them. I'm telling them the truth. This yeah. is re really what I believe. You know, I might say, you know, I would expect your pain. If you're, if you're like an eight or nine on a daily basis, if you left here today and over the next couple of days, it's down to like a, a six or a seven, you know, I would consider that a, a good positive result. Now I'm pre-framing it for them, right? What the expectation should be. And then what, I, the practitioner, believe would be progress. That's great. You know, with, and I'm trying to avoid unrealistic expectations. Now, if we get it down lower than that, I will often tell them, this is excellent. This means you're going to be a really good candidate for acupuncture. That's great. You know, or your body really likes acupuncture. So I think we're going to end up getting some really good results in the coming sessions. Yeah, you're responding really well to this. Right. You may have above average results from this. Yeah. There's great things to say. Yeah. I could see uh, a person um, hearing that and being uh, e maybe even feeling a moment of pride, like wow, they're they're special, <laughs> you know? Right. Which feeds into the solution a bit. to talk to you a little bit about another component um, before we 
wrap this up tonight because um, I think this is important and, and it, it feeds uh, very well into what we've been talking about. Is there a point to pain? What's the, what's the reason? You know, do we need pain? Is pain um, helpful? Uh, why is pain useful? What's great about pain? What's great about pain? Sometimes pain is the only thing that lets you know you're alive. You know, pain can give you very clear direction. It can give you very clear warnings. Pain can save your life. Pain is giving you information. Pain is data. Uh, Pain is information that needs to be considered and calculated and filed and stored. Pain can be a good memory to inform you for future decisions. So Satch, can pain be a great teacher? Absolutely. Pain can be an amazing teacher. Pain can teach you lessons once and you've learned the lesson forever. Like, don't touch the fire. What's something that you've learned from pain personally? Pain is honest. That's something I've learned from pain. Pain doesn't try to hide and pain doesn't try to um, deceive. Pain just says, hey, look, this ain't working. And we Hmm. gotta be honest about it. You know, look, I'm sorry, you can't hug a cactus. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. You know, pain to me is an invitation for transformation. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah, it really is because uh, I don't believe we're supposed to reside in constant pain. But I do believe that life includes pain and that's just how it is. And we don't have to run from it and we don't have to fight it or hate it or be angry at it even. Pain is a teacher. I think what's drawn you and I to be healers at one point is our curiosity about life and about the mysteries and uh, maybe another portion of that might have been our good natures and, and wanting to give and help others and still another portion of what drew us to be healers was the immense pain that we went through yeah. early on in our lives and having gone through and transformed ourselves by virtue of that pain almost like an alchemical crucible where the fires of those experiences transformed us and the essence of who we are has become more and more forged by those fires. You've been listening to The Authenticity Show with your hosts Carlos Casados and Satch Purcell. The show is produced by Oliver Altine. Our theme music is composed by Oliver Altine. You can find more information on our website, AuthenticityShow.com. Thanks for listening, and have an authentic day.